0: Life Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. All right, we've been working through First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter uh, twelve uh, recently, and uh, now we're in First uh, Corinthians thirteen, and. If you're just joining with us, we've been teaching on spiritual gifts and what uh, what scripture has to say about uh, what the gifts are, how they're supposed to operate within the church, and uh, the purpose of them, and uh, we've already uh, worked our way through uh, Ephesians 4, uh, we worked all the way through uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and this morning we're going to be here in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And it's really out of these three chapters, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that we find uh, really the most robust teaching on spiritual gifts, what they are, how they're supposed to work within the church. And uh, if you can remember our definition of spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church for the purpose of edifying the believer, maturing the church, and glorifying god now paul's whole teaching uh, as we looked in first uh, corinthians uh, chapter 12 has been really about trying to help this church be unified so that it can be edified and uh, remember what was going on there was a lot of division there was a lot of disunity uh, in the church uh, because many of the uh, corinthians there prided themselves in these spiritual gifts and they were using them not for the purpose of edifying the church and unifying the church but it was mostly for them to uh, be focused all on themselves and uh, so that was what was causing disunity and division now what's interesting in his flow of thought here is he moves from talking about the spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and then he starts talking about love in chapter 13 and then in chapter 14 he'll later pick back up on uh, spiritual gifts and uh, talking about some very particular spiritual gifts of how they're supposed to u- be used. But between chapters 12 and chapters 14, sandwiched in between those two, is this whole discourse on love. Um, so let's, uh, let's take a note of our text here. 1 Corinthians 13, we'll read it, uh, all of chapter 13. And this morning we're only going to focus on, on uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> So let's read it here together. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul's approach to teaching us about love is really different. He begins in verses 1 through 3 by showing that spiritual gifts really only have minimal value. In verses uh, 4 through 7, Paul does not attempt to give us a very technical definition of love. Instead, he describes love in a way which makes it very clear what biblical love really looks like. And his description makes it glaringly evident that the Corinthians have indeed abandoned their first love, as uh, you'll see there, you know, if I do these things, but yet without love, you know. In verses 8 through 13, Paul then contrasts love with all spiritual gifts, showing that While all of the spiritual gifts are temporary, Christian love really is eternal, outlasting even faith and hope. And if we measure the value of something by how long it lasts, love always comes out on top. It truly is paramount. Love is the better way as what... He said, I desire, you should desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way or a better way. And then he goes on to the discourse of love. So it's no coincidence or accident that this chapter uh, really intervenes between chapters 12 and 14. It isn't as if Paul broke off his train of thought here. He's talking about spiritual gifts and then all of a sudden he wants to start getting romantic on us. You know, he just kind of loses thought and says, "Ah, you know, let's talk about love now just for a little bit, and then we'll go back to spiritual gifts. No, that's not it. This chapter is probably one of the most familiar passages of Scripture with Christians and non-Christians. We see portions of this passage used and associated with all kinds of things. Uh, We find its message on signs to decorate our houses, coffee mugs, T-shirts, protester signs, It's used for titles of marriage books and messages and greeting cards. And I'm sure that if you've probably attended uh, weddings, uh, a few weddings, you've probably even heard either portions of this scripture read or even the whole thing read at a wedding. Now, one can certainly draw away many applications from these verses, but that's not Paul's primary uh, reason for writing these things. This passage is not about friendships. It's not about relationships or marriage. Paul's point in this chapter is really quite simple and straightforward. It's about the manner in which we are to exercise our spiritual gifts. They're supposed to be done with love. The church at Corinth had drawn all kinds of sorts of false conclusions about spiritual gifts and how they were to be used. Some believed that certain spiritual gifts were a sign of maturity. Others thought themselves superior to fellow believers because they operated in more overtly miraculous gifts. Some even argued that if you had this or that particular gift, it meant that God loved you more than others. And then, of course, there was the tendency in Corinth to ignore the needs of other Christians and to exploit one's spiritual gift to gain power or prestige or influence. And so, here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Without love, our spiritual gifts are not a blessing to the church. Without love, our spiritual gifts are not a blessing to the church. So let's take note of a few things here. Number one, what love is and why it is important. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gets to the heart of why there was disunity and division in the body of Christ as they were using their spiritual gifts. There was a lack of love. Love was not being valued and prized for the use of the gifts to edify the body. Instead of using the gifts to help others, they were only thinking about themselves They were careless in their use of the gifts. I believe they were so caught up in certain spiritual gifts that they really abandoned their love. Now, before we jump into our text, I think we need to answer two questions. What love is and why love is important. So, what is love? Well, Let's examine some true statements about biblical love versus feelings then I will give you a definition. So here's the first one. Biblical love as defined in 1 Corinthians 13 is a command to act. The word has little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. It can involve feelings, But that is not the primary mark. We are commanded to be controlled by the attributes of love rather than our feelings. So we should never emphasize that having warm, fuzzy feelings for someone is fulfilling the biblical command to love. John says in 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us love love. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So clearly a genuine love for someone involves concrete actions uh, on their behalf. Here's the second thing. Feelings can never replace or compensate for the command to act in love. And I can act in love regardless of the absence of good feelings. Because love is seeking the highest good in someone else. And it's not about me, but the other person. This is best illustrated, I believe, in the gospel. Sometimes we may lack the affections of joy and delight and think, if the feelings are not there, then I cannot fulfill this biblical command. However, regardless of our feelings... We need to make the effort to love anyway. Can we love someone in the absence of good feelings? Yes. And I believe when we think about the gospel and we think about we as human beings who were lost without sin, we were rebels against God, Uh, we uh, went contrary to his way, we were um, in league with the devil, Uh, we were sinners. Uh, Romans 5, 8, but God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. It's not like God looked at us and, and said, well, you know, I just, you know, there's just, that, there's, just, there's just that little sparkle there, little sparkle, and boy, if they're, you know, I just see that and so, you know, I'm going to die for them. No, we were sinners dead in our sin under the wrath of God, and yet God put on display uh, his love towards us through his son Jesus Christ by taking our sin debt, paying the debt that we deserve on the cross, taking God's wrath so that way we could be forgiven and so that way we could experience salvation. So I want to give you a beautiful definition of biblical love. This is not my definition, uh, but I found it. I, I believe it's, uh, it's very, very good. This belongs to Sam Storms, who is a uh, Bible teacher. But here it is. Love is a delight in and a commitment to act for the welfare of another without regard for their loveliness that often comes at great sacrifice to oneself. Or again, love is the overflow of our delight in God that joyfully cherishes and seeks the best interest of another, regardless of the cost to oneself. So, knowing what love is, in a biblical sense, we need to know why it's important. So, let me give you a few reasons why love is important. Now, this is not an exhaustive list here, and I'm sure there can be more uh, that can be added to this, but here, here's just at least 10 of them. Number one, loving God and loving neighbor is how the whole law is summed up. We see this in Matthew twenty two thirty six 36 through 40, and also Romans 13, 9 through 10. <laughs> Secondly, love is the capstone, the crowning virtue, the consummation of all other virtues, as described in Galatians five, twenty two through twenty three, and also Second Peter one five through seven and Colossians three, twelve through fourteen. Thirdly, love is the goal of Paul's instruction in all of his letters. Uh, we see that in First Timothy one five. Love is the distinguishing mark of the true Christian. John 13, 35. This is how people will know that you are my disciples. By what? By your love for one another. Right? That's what Jesus said. Love endures suffering under persecution, and Christians will be persecuted. Matthew 24:10, and also 2 Timothy 3:12. Love is also important because love is easily abandoned. We see that in Revelation 2, 1 through 7, about the church that has left their first love. We also see that love is misunderstood and distorted by worldly-mindedness. And by the way, Christians can fall into this as well. Uh, We might be swept up in what the world says what love is, and uh, we can be distorted uh, by what the world thinks and says about love. Love is vitally important to our relationships within the body of Christ, especially those whom we strongly disagree with. And so even if we have uh, some disagreements among the body, Uh, we are still commanded to act in love towards one another, even if we don't necessarily agree with them. Without love, the value of spiritual gifts is greatly diminished, is what we'll see here shortly in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. And also, love is greater than any of the spiritual gifts and is even greater than faith and hope as what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So let's examine now three truth statements that Paul really gives us here out of 1 Corinthians 13 about how love is supposed to be used with the spiritual gifts, and if we are not using our spiritual gifts with love, how damaging that can be to the body of Christ. So let's take note here. First of all, number one, without love, I am meaningless in what I say. Notice our text. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Paul speaks here in the first person. You see that? If I, if I, right? He's including himself. He's not saying you, 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 right? He's saying if I, 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 if I do this, if I do this. And he does this in each of these true statements. Most likely he did this because he is later going to declare that he does speak in tongues more than everyone in 1 Corinthians 14, 18. And all know that he is a prophet and he operates in word of knowledge and in faith and miracles. So Paul is including himself in this. Uh, And and to really say that, hey, I'm also responsible for making sure that when I exercise my spiritual gifts, that I'm doing so in love. And so not even an apostle is exempt from this. Now, this first truth statement deals with the spiritual gift of tongues. And uh, if you remember the definitions that we've gone through uh, with some of these, tongues are the ability to speak in a known, intelligible language without any language training. It's not babble, okay? It's not gibberish. It is an intelligible language. Now, in this case, he says, it is the tongues of men and of angels. Now, what are the tongues of angels? There's been quite a debate and, uh, you know, things that people say what tongues of angels are. And what is Paul meaning by this? I mean, why is he saying... Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Why does he say that? What's the purpose of that? So what does he mean by tongues of angels? Well, let me give you three possible answers to this statement. And I'm sure there are those probably in here today that maybe you hold to one of these views. Um, And, um, you know, we... uh, we got to remember that if we, even if we hold to a certain view on something that is a secondary issue, such as tongues of angels, right? Um, we should never use that to judge another individual who does not hold that view because it's secondary, uh, and it may be based upon our own subjective uh, experiences. So we got to remember um, that we are to give grace to one another. So here are three views in this. Number one. Paul is using exaggerated speech to draw a big contrast with love. So he's saying, even if I could speak, even if I could speak with the tongues of angels, but do not have love, then he says, uh, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And so he's trying to uh, show that even if I could do this, right, I think you can also kind of see the same similarities in uh, verse 2. Understand and know all and have this mountain-moving faith, even if I could do this, uh, in verse 3, and uh, give away all, give my body to be burned. So that's one way that we could look at what he's talking about with tongues of angels. Secondly, Paul could be advocating a view of tongues that includes heavenly languages spoken by uh angels, but not known to humans. So he says, maybe this is a possibility that there really are tongues of angels. Now we do know that angels do speak. And uh, when they do speak, um, they do speak to uh, human beings. We see that recorded in scripture. And what do they speak? They speak their language, right? So that's another possibility. Here's the third one. Paul is referring to a common belief In the church, that the gift of tongues was a gift of angelic languages. And he is simply using this phrase to gain their attention. In other words, these believers at Corinth actually believe that there was a language of the angels. And Paul doesn't necessarily believe in it. But what he's saying is he's using their language so that way he can speak to them. And say, okay, I know you guys believe this, but let me tell you something about it. Okay. And so that could be a third reason of what he means by that. So he's not in agreement to their belief of angelic languages, but only so he can speak to the issue at hand. And so there's really quite a wide range of views here. Now remember, as what Paul said, the spiritual gifts are not at our disposal, meaning something that we do. It's not something we work up. Remember in 1 Corinthians 12, he says it's a manifestation of the Spirit as he wills, right? Right? So Paul's trying to help them understand that it's not when we choose to do this or when we want to do this, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. And we'll examine the spiritual gift of tongues in greater detail when we get to chapter 14. But I want you to take notice of a few things here. Take note of Paul's words here. Okay, Now listen very carefully what Paul is saying. All right, Paul says that the tongues are not what has become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal, but rather he has. And so without love, it's not that the tongues have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal, but rather he has in what he's saying. It's become meaningless in what he is saying. Adrian, can I borrow you just for a sec? Um, Just hop up back there where the drums are, and grab a, grab a stick there, and what I want you to do, Adrian, is I want you, as I'm speaking, I want you to just go ahead and clang away on those cymbals, okay, so go right ahead, ready, no, that's, a, there you go, the cymbals, there you go, you got it, okay, and go ahead, I mean, just let her rip, okay, yeah, there you go, yeah, so anyway, keep going, keep going, louder, louder, come on, come on, yeah, so anyway, I just want to tell you guys how much that uh, I think that, you know, really enjoy being here. And, you know, you guys are, you know, doing a lot of great things. And so, you know, we, we really love being here and we enjoy worshiping with you all. And, you know, it's just wonderful what we do here today. And All right. Thank you, Adrian. Appreciate it. Okay. So Paul says here, he says, without love, what I'm saying is just meaningless. There's no point to it whatsoever. Okay. And it's just, you've, you've become just this clanging gong or, or, or crashing cymbal, just constant, 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 yeah. constant. If a person persists on using this gift, the gift of tongues, without love and ways that they could do this, drawing attention to themselves, using fake spirituality, how spiritual I am, I'm speaking in tongues, Woo! right? Looking down on others who don't have this gift, you're not really spirit-filled unless you speak in tongues. Paul says that it will affect them personally. He says they have become, he says, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Lovelessness will make tongues useless, but not just useless, you will become a nuisance to the whole body who has to endure you, to endure what you're saying, because there's really no purpose in what you're saying, it's just useless, it's, it's not tied to love. And so without love, I am meaningless in what I say. Here's the other thing that Paul says mentions in verse 2. Without love, I am nothing in what I know and do. Verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, Paul mentions four other spiritual gifts here. Prophecy, ability to understand mysteries. This could be discernment or a word of wisdom, as what he mentioned uh, previous in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, the word of wisdom and word of knowledge. And then he specifically says this word of knowledge and of faith. So Paul here, he's, he's talking about himself again. Take note of that. If I, if I have this, if I have all prop, prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, if I have all these things, or if I can do all these things, and he's including himself. And I believe here, again, I, I think he's kind of exaggerating how much the gift is used, right? Prophetic powers, if I have that. Uh, understand all mysteries, not just some mysteries, but all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, not just a little bit of faith. Remember what Jesus said about faith? He said, if you had the faith of what? Mustard seed, just a little bit of faith, right? But Paul's here saying, if I had all faith, if I could do all this so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. All these gifts are good in themselves. There's nothing wrong with prophecy or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. There's nothing wrong with having faith. These gifts are good. They're good and useful for the church. But these gifts can bring great benefits to the body of Christ, but without love, those benefits are hindered. Paul emphasizes again that it's not these spiritual gifts, that have become nothing but rather he has you see the emphasis there he says i am nothing i am nothing you see the view that paul had of himself right i am nothing and so without love i am nothing in what i know and do you see, we need to remember that we offer nothing to the body of Christ when the emphasis is placed on us. What good is prophecy, being able to understand mysteries, knowledge, and have faith that can have the kind of faith that could even do the impossible, move mountains? But what good is as if we don't have love, and instead of moving the mountain, that mountain falls on an individual and crushes them. And so yet, even with that kind of faith, we are nothing without love. The Corinthian Christians missed the motive and the goal of the gifts, making them their goal. It was all about them. It was all about what they could do, what they could say, how they looked. It was all about, the focus was on them. Here's a good reminder from a well-known pastor, and theologian. Possession of the charismata, is not a sign of the Spirit. Christian love is. And so if we really want to show that we are filled with the Spirit, if we really want to show that God is at work in our lives, it's not through spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are good and and helpful to the church, but it is through the Spirit. It is through Christian love that uh, God really works in our lives. Here's the last one. Without love, I gain nothing in what I sacrifice. Notice what he says. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul now makes mention of the spiritual gift of giving here. Again, notice the emphasis on the first person, I. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body, he says, I gain nothing. Now, he mentions two ways of giving here. Take notice of them. First of all, Paul mentions the spiritual gift of giving. Giving away all I have. Now, perhaps your translation adds to feed the poor. Giving away all that I have to feed the poor. Now, obviously, that's a pretty awesome thing to do, right? To be able to give away all that you have and be able to feed the poor. Now, remember, these gifts are being used where? Within the context of the local church, right? We're supposed to do good to the household of faith first, okay? And so even in this case, too, I I think that there might have been individuals in the church that might have been giving, and then that church might have been going out and feeding the poor. We understand that as well. And so we don't really necessarily know if this was they were giving to feed the poor within the church or without the church. We're not really sure on that. And so if you have a person exercising this gift and giving away all that they have to benefit someone or perhaps a group of individuals in local church or outside the local church, if they are doing it for the wrong motive, not for love, that person gains nothing. Their reward is zero. They're just like what Jesus said they have. They have their reward. They have the applause of men. They have the, wow, did you see how much he gave? Right? Because it's behind. it doesn't have the right motive. Love isn't always the motivation for giving. Some people give just to get back or out of guilt, or out of control, or prestige. You can give for a lot of wrong motives, but the Bible says if you're not doing it out of love, none of your giving counts. Here's the second thing. Paul says, delivering their body to be burned. Now that sounds a bit dramatic, doesn't it? Giving your body to be burned... Now, again, Paul could be exaggerating the circumstances here and saying, even if I give my body up to be burned, that's one way that a person could look at this. Um, Here's another one. Some believe that suffering for Jesus was the most important thing in the Christian life. Giving your life as a dramatic martyr. Uh, There were some that believed that This was the most important thing to do, is to give your life for Jesus. Without love, Paul says, I gain nothing. Thirdly, this could also be a branding of the flesh to be a slave or criminal for the sake of the gospel. And so one could look at this and say, hey, I'm going to give my body to be burned, to be branded in a way Uh, for the sake of being a slave or a criminal of the gospel. Either way, the emphasis is still the same. Even if I lay down my life in some dramatic display, he says, of martyrdom or give my life as a criminal or slave to the gospel, apart from love, Paul says, there is no gain. I gain nothing. There is no reward whatsoever. Again, I can't emphasize how important love is in using the spiritual gifts. Normally, one would ever doubt the spirituality of someone who gave away everything that they had and gave up their life in a dramatic martyrdom. But Paul makes it clear that that's not how we measure someone's spirituality. How do we measure their spirituality? By love. That's how we look at it. So let's think about this concluding all this together. So love is very important to the Christian way of life. This is Paul's emphasis as he makes with the spiritual gifts in chapter 13 here. Love transcends every spiritual gift. And I don't think we grasp how important love is when using our spiritual gifts. It is more important and more valuable and more beneficial to the body of Christ than the collective powers of tongues and prophecy and healing and miracles. Now, don't have the wrong conclusion about this. In saying that love is better than spiritual gifts, he does not mean that spiritual gifts are bad. His purpose in this chapter is not to devalue spiritual gifts. He simply means that in the scramble for the giftings, this, well, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to be this, and I got to be that, this scramble of this, the tendency that some of them have to produce pride and arrogance Love must be paramount. So spiritual gifts are good and important, and in my opinion, indispensable to the church, but only if exercised in love. In the absence of love, they are utterly worthless. And so here's a good thing that we should remember about all of this. We should never measure spirituality or value spirituality by a person's gifting, but rather their character. This can be so dangerous in a church as well because you might have somebody who's very gifted and very talented and we say, oh boy, this person's got it. Oh, they got this, they got that. Oh, we need them, we need this, we need that. But yet their character does not line up with scripture. And that can be very dangerous if we say we need this, we need that, we need this. No, what we need is we need biblical love. We need a person who is walking In the Spirit, we need a person who is exercising the fruit of the Spirit, right? Showing forth the fruit of the Spirit. And so it's important that we remember some of those things. So just remember, whatever giftings that God has gifted you with, make sure that we are using them with love. Always check your motive. Is this to promote me or is this to help edify the body of Christ? Let's pray together.